Hello, and welcome to Cast episode 5. It is nice where I am. I am still down south, in the south of England, in my van. Halen is their name. If you haven't figured out why from that, then, oh dear. Only after one of the greatest damn rock bands in the world. Hell yeah. So, I am hanging out in Halen. It's windy though, it's a windy day. It is windy, my dude. Which makes it even more cosy to be in here. I was hanging out in here the other day with the rain. And, um, and it's so relaxing. Today, much like every day for the past, just over a week now, I am really ill. Uh, oh, okay, sorry, I was waiting for some sympathy, but guess not. Thanks, um, for nothing, I suppose. Now, you just, you just listen to the voice. You just do that. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm fine, honestly. It's good. It's good. You just enjoy Gavin Cast. Dude, no, I, I feel terrible. <laughs> um, but as I found out, everyone is getting ill at the moment because suddenly we're all mixing again and it's like, oh, what's up? You want some bacteria? Dude, I haven't had bacteria in like 18 months. Give me some of that. That's pretty much uh, what all our immune systems are doing at the moment. It's at least what mine is doing. So I've spent most of my time in bed watching The Walking Dead because I never finished it and I think it's on its last season now and I love zombie content, I really do. I watched Zombieland 2 for the first time the other day as well. Pretty good, holds up I think. But yeah, I'm just glad I have a comfy bed. That was my, um, that was my only thing, my only main thing for this fan. Let me have a comfy bed, good to go. Anything else? Secondary. So if you've never listened to Cavern Cast before, how it works is I use a random word generator to generate five random words and then talk about them while you go about your day, whether you're cleaning, cooking, napping, dancing, maybe not dancing. It'd be quite a challenge to try and interpret these these words in this, any kind of cadence in my voice in any way, and turn that into lyrical or contemporary dance. Tap dance to Cavern Cast. Anyway, five random words, five random topics. Let's talk. I also apologize if today's episode isn't as long. There's only so long I can go for right now without totally losing my voice. But I am eating my vegetables and my fruit and drinking more water than a oh god what drinks a lot of water a blue whale more water than a blue whale so by next week i should be tippy toppy but for now let's start with the first word which is interactive it's a new world my dudes and if the word interactive is not one of the best words to describe it I do not know what is. 
I remember writing my dissertation on how an increasingly interactive world is affecting the music industry and how it's like changing things for artists, especially independent artists. And not to flex, but a lot of what I said came true. So, uh, basically psychic. No, I just did my research and interviewed people who knew what they were talking about. And mostly, like, it was really obvious what was going to happen. Because all new media is getting more and more interactive, right? And I've loved it. I do love it. Um, because I've gotten to meet so many people and interact with so many people. Weirdly, this is one of the more passive forms of media that you're consuming right now, I guess. But, you know, despite this being technically very one-sided, anyone who's listened to Kevin Cast before will know how much I still seem to ask questions. I guess I can't help but make it interactive. It's what I know, I suppose. I've always done stuff like that. Despite the social anxiety, I really like hearing what people have to say. This is why this is perfect for me. This is where I get to talk, and I just feel like I'm talking to myself. But then if you guys want to reply, you can, like, tweet at me or something. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, cool, that works. I remember the first interactive story game that I played when I was younger. Like the choose your own adventure games. There's this game called Heavy Rain, this video game called Heavy Rain that I was so obsessed with that I completed the whole thing in one sitting. It's one of those games like Detroit Become Human and Life is Strange where every choice you make completely affects the outcome of the game. And I love stuff like that. It's not great for someone who overthinks. Well, it kind of is, because it was like, I know there's not any real consequences, so it sort of helped me make decisions. But then again, I used to play Life is Strange on Twitch, and I got all my viewers to, like, help with that as well. So it took, it took the responsibility of fake consequences off of my shoulders, which was helpful. Shirking accountability even in the digital world. Oh man, I just get really self-deprecating when I'm ill. Anyway, um, yeah, so this game, Heavy Rain, was like that. And um, I, I think I may have got a little too wrapped up in it as I was around a friend's house and he was showing me the game. And I started playing it at like... 8 p.m. and this was a friend who like he really wanted me to play the game because he'd already completed it and he wanted to see what decisions I made and then we could talk about it and oh let's get deep <gasps> if the word deep ever comes up on this podcast that's gonna be like three hours long I swear or like the word universe or dream or anything as like open booked as that it's like oh get ready for a four hour episode of Calvin Cast. I'll put that on YouTube and be like, guaranteed sleep, four-hour conversation about the universe. Um, yeah, I was around his, he showed me the game, and I started playing it at like 8pm-ish, something like that. Um, carried on playing it till about 2am when he decided to go to bed, 
you know, like a normal person. And then I carried on playing and decided I was going to finish the game. So cut to 8am the next morning. He wakes up and comes downstairs and I've nearly finished. And then right at one of the final parts of the game, like one of the most climactic points, my character just stopped moving. Like the controller wasn't working at all. It just stopped doing anything, which was weird because I'm pretty sure it was either like fully charged or it was plugged in. I'm pretty sure it was plugged in. And even if it wasn't, usually like it would say like your controller batteries are running low and it definitely didn't say that. So I was like, that's weird. What's going on? Um, and looked down at the controller and the weirdest thing had happened. My body had fallen asleep because I was sat in the same position for so long. My body was like, oh, okay, yeah, we're asleep now. Let's stop working. And I could only move my eyes, which is not the most fun thing in the world, if you've ever experienced that. And I um, I got really annoyed at my body. <laughs> like it was more frustration than, than freak out. I was like, oh, you're, you're weak. How dare, you're pathetic. We are this close to the end and you're giving up. And then I think it heard me because all of a sudden my character started moving again and I just completely woke up. And I completed the game and then had a very, very weird sleep for a few hours. It was crazy. Such a good game though. Highly recommend it to, to anyone like that. I'm interested to see how much more interactive everything's going to get in the future. Like, I always thought it was going to be virtual reality. I still think it's going to be virtual reality. Like, I fully believe it's going to be like Sword Art Online, the anime, where everyone is uh, has their nervous system linked up to virtual reality and they're, like, totally immersed. And that is a terrifying but extremely cool thought. Every time I start thinking about that too much, I need to go outside and touch some grass for a bit. Speaking of grass, safari is the next word. See, might be ill as all heck, but I'm still good at segues. If you have ever been on a safari, I am very jealous of you. I have always wanted to go on a safari. I mean, when I say safari, I mean the only kind of safari I actually agree with, which is like animals that are basically wild in native land like in Africa or where they're you know uh, a safari along an African savanna where it's like you're in their space they're not in your space you're in their home and like if I was to go there and a lion was like I am this is your time this is like I have decided I uh, you're in my place I am going to take my paw that is bigger than your head and just take it off in in one swipe um i would be like understandable have a great day because i'm in their place going there for entertainment basically i mean not fully entertainment but you know what i mean that'd be like me like just sitting on the toilet and then a giraffe just suddenly walks past the window or like a family of giraffes and they all have iPhones and I'm just like, oh, hi, just pooping.
just pooping. But no, in a nice way, I'd love to go on a safari to, to that kind of thing and just be like, just being like, what up? With a, with a rhino and the rhino could be like, like it would either be like, what up, back? Or it would be like, you're looking at me. Oh, I know you ain't looking at me. The more and more mileage I get, the more time I want to spend in nature. Um, Cause I definitely need to touch some grass. And a safari would be like the cream of the crop for that. But I want my cake and eat it. Like, I don't like living in cities, but I want to be in cities. I remember going to New York for the first time. Concrete jungle, kind of like a safari, if you look at it like that. Everyone's an ant when you're in a plane. And I remember, like, New York. I think New York is my favourite city. I only went there for, like, four days, but... um, I had the best time. Best part of it was we took this boat trip. It cost like 14 bucks. We like took it around Manhattan Island. And our tour guide was awesome. He was like, I think he was, I think he played Dracula. At the time, he was like playing Dracula in an off-Broadway production of Dracula. And he had like long hair and like a massive beard and spoke like a rock star. He was awesome. Can't remember his name. Drake. We'll call him Drake. It's like Dracula, in it? That's like Blade Trinity. Yeah, they're called Dracula Drake. First film I ever saw Ryan Reynolds in was Blade Trinity. I think that was the first time, yeah, that was the first time I ever saw, like, a proper... <laughs> I don't want to say, like, a proper six-pack on a guy, but, like, it's like the Ryan Reynolds version of a six-pack, which is, like, premium six pack do you know what i mean it's just ryan reynolds so it's automatically like five points better i don't fancy ryan reynolds okay stop thinking that i do what are you talking about but no, back to back to safaris stop getting sidetracked okay you listening yeah like i said as long as the animals are okay with it then cool same with anything really according to wikipedia a safari is an overland journey to, oh, to hunt, or in more recent times, observe wild animals. Let's go with the recent times one. I didn't know they used the word safari to mean hunt as well. This is where I'm going to find out that safari literally means hunt or something. Oh, no, the Swahili word safari means journey. Originally from the Arabic adjective safar meaning a journey, traveling, touring, or voyaging. The verb for to travel in Swahili is kusafiri. These words are used for any type of journey, e.g. by bus from Nairobi to Mombasa, or by ferry from Dar es Salaam to Unguja. I like that they say, yeah, it can be used for any type of journey, and then give two extremely specific examples. <laughs> I also like how they say it's like an overland journey as opposed to like an underland journey. Look at all these animals underground. We're digging today, guys. We're going to go find some worms. In 1836, William Cornwallis Harris led an expedition purely to observe and record wildlife and landscapes. Harris established the safari style of journey starting with a not too strenuous rising at first light a not too strenuous like 
guys, so we're just gonna like wake up, chill, uh, maybe have like just have like a coffee, you know, and then just we'll just venture out, we'll just vibe, but we're not gonna rush things. So, uh, also a not too strenuous rising at first light. Any rising at first light is strenuous. William Cornwallis Harris. Anyway, a not too strenuous rising at first light, an energetic day walking, an afternoon rest, ah, there we go, then concluding with a formal dinner and telling stories in the evening over drinks and tobacco. But yeah, if I ever go on a safari, I would like to observe Simba, Timon, Pumbaa, and Tantor, and... All the other Disney animals. The third word is clock. I had a friend's house that I stayed at when I was a kid sometimes. I'd, um, I'd sleep on the couch and in their living room they had one of those grandfather clocks, but one of those really old school grandfather clocks that chimed every 15 minutes. It was like halfway between extremely annoying and also, thinking about it now, maybe one of my first introductions into mindfulness and being brought back into the present moment, because no matter where my mind would be and where it would drift to over the course of each of those 15 minutes, with every chime, I would be brought back to right then and there which is kind of ironic when you think about it in a way because all of that present moment stuff is supposed to be about time not mattering and only the present moment mattering, but... Oh, well. Language is a funny thing. And despite being brought back into the present moment, that also meant, like, I never slept either. Or I would dream about clocks a lot. Or, like, massive clock towers. Speaking of, there was actually a massive uh, clock tower on a church in the town that I grew up in and um, it was the same shape as Big Ben um, for those of you who don't know uh, Big Ben is um, the massive clock tower in central London I feel like everyone knows Big Ben but maybe not, I don't know and I was like wait do we live in London? because my perspective on time and geography was nothing at that age it's like when you go back to places that you haven't been since you were a kid and you realize how small they are i had that with a slide uh, like a kid's soft play indoor park thing that i used to go to when i was a kid and i remember this slide being massive like like astronomically big and then i went back once Oh no, I didn't even go back. I saw a picture of it online once and it was so small. And I was like, it broke my idea of reality and I had a little like freak out, a little spiral about the whole thing. Um, I just had to take a short break and I've come back slightly disappointed, I'm not going to lie, because um, I'm parked up and there was this lady that just turned up with her two dogs so naturally already excited and um she looked like she was in a, a bit of a 
back or and I asked her if she was okay and she said she'd just taken the dogs for a walk and she thought she'd lost her keys and um, she was asking if I could look after the dog because the dog was old. one of the dogs was really old and um, and she didn't think he could make the walk again but she had to go and find her keys which is dodgy because you know I would definitely have stolen the dog because I because I want a dog and I need a, I need a friend for the van but yeah, she, um, she asked me if I would look after the dog. You know, I would have said like, "Here's my details. Here's everything." Like, so I'm not gonna steal your dog. But um, then she she was like, "Oh, they might be in my bag," and the keys are in her bag. So I didn't get to look after the dog, which means I don't have a co-host for this podcast, and I'm kind of disappointed. Not gonna lie. I wish she hadn't found her keys. I should have stolen her keys. Then I would have had a dog. Anyway, clocks, right? A clock is a device used to measure, verify, keep, and indicate time. The clock is one of the oldest human inventions. <laughs> Bold of you to assume it was humans and not aliens. Meeting, <laughs> welcome to Conspiracy Cast. Meeting the need to measure intervals of time shorter than the natural units. Me, I'm a natural unit. <laughs> I must be feeling better. My sense of humor is coming back. The natural units, natural units, the day, the lunar month, and the year. Devices operating on Several physical processes have been used over the millennia. Some predecessors to the modern clock may be considered as clocks that are based on movement in nature. A sundial shows the time by displaying the position of a shadow on a flat surface. There is a range of duration timers, a well-known example being the hourglass. Water clocks, along with the sundials, are possibly the oldest time measuring instruments. A major advance occurred with the invention of the verge escapement, which made possible the first mechanical clocks around 1300 in Europe, which kept time with oscillating timekeepers like balance wheels. Traditionally, in horology... Oh my god. Wait. What? Horology. That's... No way. The study of timekeeping is known as horology. There's nothing inappropriate about that. Stop thinking there is. Traditionally, in horology, the term clock was used for a striking clock, while a clock that did not strike the hours audibly was called a timepiece. Oh... That's cool. This distinction is no longer made. Watches and other timepieces that can be carried on one's person are usually not referred to as clocks. Spring-driven clocks appeared during the 15th century. During the 15th and 16th centuries, clockmaking flourished. The next development in accuracy occurred after 1656 with the invention of the pendulum clock by Christian Huygens? Huygens. Christian hygiene. 
a major stimulus to improving the accuracy and reliability of clocks was the importance of precise timekeeping for navigation. The mechanism of a timepiece with a series of gears driven by a spring or weights is referred to as clockwork. The term is used by extension for a similar mechanism not used in a timepiece. The electric clock was patented in 1840. I'm really, I'm playing with fire here, aren't I? <laughs> and electric clocks were introduced in the 20th century, becoming widespread with, with the development of small battery-powered semiconducted devices, battery-powered, battery-powered, battery-powered electric clocks. Yeah, who doesn't love a battery-powered clock? The timekeeping element in every modern clock. Oh, it's raining, I think, is a harmonic oscillator, a physical object or resonator that vibrates or oscillates at a particular frequency. This object can be a pendulum, a tuning fork, a quartz crystal, or the vibration of electrons in atoms as they emit microwaves. Clocks have different ways of displaying time. Analog clocks indicate time with a traditional clock face, pure clock face, with moving hands. Digital clocks display a numeric representation of time. Two numbering systems are in use, 24-hour time notation and 12-hour notation. Most digital clocks use electronic mechanisms, LCD, LED or VFD displays. For the blind and for use over telephones, speaking clocks state the time audibly in words. Oh yeah. At the third beep, the time sponsored by Accurus will be 1.69 a.m. There are also clocks for the blind that have displays that can be read by touch. I know this is for the deaf and not the blind, but sign language is something I want to get better at. I know some things though, look, I can sign my name. Hello, my name is Kevin. Did you see that? It's impressive, right? Thank you, thank you very much. I still can't get over this horology thing. <laughs> okay, this next word, going all the way back to episode one, this is a throwback, pigeon. Pigeon is the fourth word of today. In episode one, I was talking about Scottish pigeons. That wasn't one of the randomly generated words. It didn't come up with, like, Scottish pigeon. Or Scottish and pigeon. No, I just, um... What did I say? Oh, I, I was talking about what my co-hosts would be because there was a fly in episode one. Episode one is a hell of a time. If you're just, if you're jumping in it here at episode five, go back to episode one. Honestly, my co-host being a fly is unlike anything I've ever experienced. Please go and do yourself a favor. And, um, yeah, and it's good to start from the beginning, eh? Also, if you want to hear further co-hosts, including an awesome dog called Dexter, there are bonus episodes available on my Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Cavan Kingston. Go check it out and hang out there. Shout out to all my current patrons. Big love. Awesome. So pigeons. 
what does Google have to say about pigeons? Loads of people really don't like pigeons, and I just can't help but like pigeons. They're so dopey, man. They're just like, oh, just, I'm just going to hang around. You want some bread? Sweet. No? Okay, cool. I'm just going to go do my thing. Um, I might poop on you, but it's good luck, so it's all good. Except Scottish pigeons, I imagine, just like, <laughs> I'm going to take a crap on your head and you're going to like it because it's good luck. <laughs> Don't you question me, pal. If I say it's good luck, my crap is good luck, okay? I will flap you with my wing. I do not care. Facts about pigeons. Okay, first off, Columbidae is a bird family consisting of pigeons and doves. They're often described as rats with wings, a phrase popularized by the movie Stardust Memories. Huh. Pigeons are actually pretty cool. From homing instincts to misleading rump feathers, here are 15 things you might not know about these avian adventurers. Pigeons might be the first domesticated bird. I'm reading this article by Mark Mancini, by the way. The common city pigeon, also known as the rock pigeon. Hell yeah, dude, rock and roll. Might be the first bird humankind ever domesticated. You can see them in art dating back as far as 4,500 BCE in modern Iraq. And they've been a valuable source of food for thousands of years. They won over Charles Darwin and Nikola Tesla. Pigeon breeding was a common hobby in Victorian England for everyone from well-off businessmen to average Joes, leading to some fantastically weird birds. Few hobbyists had more enthusiasm for the breeding process than Charles Darwin, who owned a diverse flock, joined London pigeon clubs, and hobnobbed, I love that word, with famous breeders. Darwin's passion for the birds influenced his 1868 book, The Variation of Animals and Plants Under Domestication, which has not one but two chapters about pigeons. Dogs and cats share a single chapter. That's not okay. Dogs deserve at least half the book. When it said they won over Charles Darwin and Nikola Tesla, I thought they won a competition over Charles Darwin and Nikola Tesla. Like, pigeons are better at science than... Charles Darwin and Nikola Tesla. <laughs> I can just imagine this pigeon with like a massive gold trophy and then Charles Darwin and Nikola Tesla sat there looking really defeated with a like some crappy rosette and then the pigeon flies away and craps on both of their heads like losers. Nikola Tesla was another great mind who enjoyed pigeons. He used to care for injured wild pigeons in his New York City hotel room. What a legend. Hands down, Tesla's favourite was a white female about whom he once said, I loved that pigeon. I loved her as a man loves a woman. And she loved him. Wait. Did Tesla do it with a pigeon? Okay, wait. I loved that pigeon. I loved her as a man loves a woman. And she loved me. When she was ill, I knew and understood. She came to my room and I stayed beside her for days. I nursed her back to health. That pigeon was the joy of my life. If she needed me, nothing else mattered. As long as I had her, there was a purpose in my life. Reportedly, he was inconsolable after she died. I really, really 
hope that is as innocent and heartwarming as it seems. Pigeons can find their way back to the nest from 1,300 miles away. The birds can do this even if they've been transported in isolation with no visual, olfactory or magnetic clues, while scientists rotate their cages so they don't know what direction they're travelling in. How they do this is a mystery. Well, it's vibes, obviously, but people have been exploiting the pigeons' navigational skills since at least 3000 BCE, when ancient peoples would set caged pigeons free and follow them to nearby land. Yeah, man, they just vibe. They just get out of the cage and they're like, Where my people at? Where my people at? Where my hometown? We're going north, baby. I feel the vibe. Yeah, because that's what makes them such good, like, messengers, right? Like homing pigeons and all that. They've saved thousands of human lives during World Wars One and Two. Pigeons' homing talents continued to shape history during the 20th century. In both world wars, rival nations had huge flocks of pigeon messengers. America alone had 200,000 at its disposable in World War II. By delivering critical updates, the avians saved thousands of human lives. One racing bird named Cher Ami completed a, you like the accent, cool, completed a mission that led to the rescue of 194 stranded US soldiers on October 4th, 1918. I remember hearing about that. Not at the time, obviously, I'm not that old. Maybe I am. Cavan Cullen, you can train them to be art snobs. Japanese psychologist Shigeru Watanabe and two colleagues earned an, a Nobel Prize in 1995 for training pigeons in a lab setting to recognise the paintings of Claude Monet and Pablo Picasso and to distinguish between the painters. Oh my god, it's amazing. Pigeons are smart as hell, dude. That's crazy. Wait, fluffy pigeon feet might actually be partial wings. A few pigeon breeds have fuzzy legs which hobbyists call muffs rather than scaly ones. According to a 2016 study, the DNA of these fluffy-footed pigeons led their hind legs to take on some four-limb characteristics, making muffed pigeon legs look distinctly wing-like. They're also big-boned. Wow, calm down. That's not very nice. Some pigeons distract falcons with white rump feathers. <laughs> Pigeons be getting out the bunda to save their lives. In a life or death situation, a pigeon's survival could depend upon its colour pattern. Research has shown that wild falcons rarely go after pigeons that have a white patch of feathers just above the tail. And when the predators do target these birds, the attacks are rarely successful. Blinded by the bunda. <laughs> the dazzling back-off skills. Okay, that's enough. That's enough pigeon facts. Maybe the pigeon that Nikola Tesla loved had some white rump feathers. <laughs> Jesus. Ah, oh, dodos were related to today's pigeons. Cool. Anyway, uh, the last word of the day is cake. When I was younger, uh, it was well, I think it was my 14th birthday, my nan had made me a cake, a big chocolate cake. And um, as I blew my candles out... Um, my best friend proceeded to smash my face into this humongous chocolate cake. We still ate all of it, don't worry. 
there was no wastage, but it was hilarious. And um, every year since then, it's become a tradition for him to smash my face into whatever birthday cake I've got. But, you know, I know I've grown up a bit now. I don't always have a birthday cake, but whenever we can make it happen, it happens. And that'll happen till the day we die. He's getting married. Maybe I'll do that to him. Maybe I'll smash his face into his wedding cake. It's like a really romantic moment. And then I smash his face into the wedding cake. And everybody is like stunned in silence. And I just go, Payback's a bitch. And then everyone is just stunned. His mum starts crying. I don't, I don't know. Obama's there. <laughs> I don't, oh God, I'm really ill. I don't know where my mind is going. I don't think it's going anywhere. My hypothetical situations are not the one today. Anyway, cake. What else about cake? I'm really annoyed. There was um, this awesome cake shop that uh, was near my place that I lived in London. And it was one of those places where it's just like the most unbelievably nice, tasty, delicious looking cakes in the front window. Um, like They looked like they were from cartoons. It was great. And... Um, I said to myself, before I move out, I'm going to go get, like, a massive piece of cake and just try some. And I never got around to it, so I'll have to do that if and when I go back to make it happen. Cake is the most amazing thing, dude. Also, I really like vegan cake. Vegan cake I'm kind of enjoying more than normal cake at the moment. I don't know how they do it. Vegan magic, I guess. I see you, vegans. You're all magic. Your vibes are immaculate. What's going on? Do I have a favourite cake? I think carrot cake, which weirdly I, I never liked when I was a kid. Maybe I just never liked the idea of it because it's carrot. <laughs> carrot cake is... Peng. It's so nice. Peng means really fit, by the way. The world's largest wedding cake weighed 15,032 pounds. What? 15,032 pounds. Is that because there was someone in it? Was there like a stripper in it or something? Was that what it was? <laughs> Your mom. Whoa. Uh, I need to stop this episode very soon. The world's largest wedding cake weighed 15,082 pounds and was made by chefs at the Mohegan Sun Hotel and Casino, Uncasville, Connecticut, in February 2004. Connecticut, Connecticut, Connecticut. Good state. The world's tallest cake stood 108 feet, 3 inches high. <laughs> Why 3 inches? This cake is 108 feet. And then just some guy turns up, just like that really specific that guy who's just like really particular about the details. Dude, have you seen this cake? It's like 108 feet high. Oh, don't forget the 3 inches. Three inches is important, man. You can do a lot with three inches. <laughs> Don't I know it? Okay, I'm going delirious. Right, a few more cake facts, and then we're done. And I need to go to bed. The world's most expensive cake, christened the Pirate's Fantasy, cost a whopping $35 million. Crafted by Chef DK, Group Skills Development Chef at Aitken Aitken Spence Hotels. It was adorned with ten different stones belonging to the Sapphire family, with the most expensive and the rarest one being a Padmaraja. 
or the King Sapphire. It also included ten pieces of jewellery ranging from necklaces, bracelets, rings, brooches, pendants, tie pins, cufflinks, to nose rings and toe rings. They weren't supposed to be in there. People were just putting their faces and toes in there. <laughs> into the cake. And when they're like, oh my God, you put tie rings in here? The chef's like, uh, yeah, totally intentional. Just a little out of pizzazz. The saying, you can't have your cake and eat it. Did I say that? Did I say that earlier on in this podcast? I feel like I might have done. Weird. The saying, you can't have your cake and eat it. Originally, eat your cake and have it. Oh, wow, Mandela effect. Is, is first seen in print in 1562 in John Haywood's Proverbs and Epigrams. The first birthday cake was originally a cake given as an offering on a person's birthday. Well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The first reference to birthday cake came in 1785. During the 17th century in England, people believed that keeping fruitcakes under the pillow of those who are unmarried will give them sweet dreams about their fiancé. English people are stupid. Oh my God. And I'm one of them. I can say that because I know I'm dumb. Uh, we embarrass us sometimes. Anyway, I apologise for the chaotic nature of this episode. Um, I am doing everything I can to feel better. And I do. I feel a little bit better for recording this and, you know, zoning in on this. And I hope that you guys are feeling a bit more relaxed and a bit more chill whether i don't know what the likelihood of that is after this episode but i hope you feel some type of positive way um i'm gonna go find that dog steal it and um and then get cozy and go to bed maybe get some chicken nuggets anyway Take care of yourself. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.